What an amazing week I had. Let me tell you about just one thing that God did for me this week. I was eating lunch at Chick-fil-A, and I ordered an eight-count nugget meal, and it was delivered to my table, and I said, thank you, and they said, my pleasure. And then I bowed my head, and I began to pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this food. Bless it to my body. Thank you that you love me and that you do miracles in my life. And I opened up my eyes, opened up the box. There wasn't eight nuggets in there. There were 12 nuggets. Come on, can we give God some praise today? He's a God that turns water into wine and makes an eight nugget meal into a 12 nugget meal. We serve a good, good God. My name is Jason Bentley. I serve as the lead pastor here at Waterview Church, and I'm thrilled that you're here today. Just want to give a little shout out to all of you that are VIPs. That's what we call people that are visiting for the first, second, or third time. Just want to give you a shout out. Thank you for being with us today. It's an honor to be able to host you, and our prayer is that you'll leave encouraged and inspired that this day will prof profoundly impact you because that's what we've been working and waiting for all week. We were just waiting on you to get here and we're thrilled that you're here. And whether you're new or you've been coming, I hope that you'll take advantage of a free resource that we make available, which is an app. We have a Waterview app that you can download, ways that can, you can do that are on the screen. And I want to encourage you to make sure that you get the app because in just a moment, I'm going to get into the Word and we have a digital worship guide in the app where all of the verses and my notes are there. You can follow along with us now. And then later in the week, you can look back on this day, maybe in your personal devotion time, and reread some of the things that we're going to be covering today to just kind of strengthen the word of faith in your life and drive it deeply into your hearts and other things you can use the app for or check out the different small group options that are available and here in just a few weeks we're going to be launching our fall semester of small groups and so there will be a host of different groups that are going to be put in there so you might as well get used to the app now so you can find the right group and get in one and then next Sunday I do want to mention this before I get into the word next Sunday is a very special day because next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. Now look, baptism is powerful. The Bible says that when you are baptized into Christ, you put on Christ like a new set of clothes, which means baptism is what changes our identity. We come up out of the water a different person. And so if you have not taken the plunge or maybe at one time in your life, maybe as a baby when you really didn't know what was going on, maybe your parents made that decision for you or you were a child, but now that you've grown and matured, you know what faith in Jesus is all about. Baptism is actually meant for you. And so we're going to be celebrating the faith awakening in your life through baptism. So make sure that you register to be baptized next Sunday on the 20th and then invite a bunch of friends and family to be here for this very special day. And we're going to party hard and celebrate all the good things that God is doing in your life. So let's let's do it. Let's take the plunge. You can go to the link that will take you to register to be baptized right there in that same app, or you can go to our website, but either way, register, and let's make next weekend 
an amazing, amazing time. I invite you today to go with me in the app, in your Bibles. It's going to also be on the screen to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 22, Matthew 22, and we're going to look at verse 37, and we're just going to kind of read through verse number 40. This is the foundation that we have built this new series on. You see, last week, we started a brand new message series called, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And we're rooting this series in the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter number 22, and this is what it says. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. And I think with that, we can all say amen, right? Love God, love Jesus with everything you've got. And although we're working that out in our lives, trying to get better at actually manifesting that, I think we can get down with that. Amen. But look at what Jesus says. A second command is equally important. Everyone say equally important. A second is equally important. And I think this is the one that we kind of resonate with just a little bit less than that first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything you've got. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And from this, I want to talk to you for just a few moments today as we continue our series, Won't You Be My Neighbor, on the subject, Love Makes the Difference. Love makes the difference. Now, here's the thing. Here at our church, we have a pretty big vision. And our, our vision is to make life matter for all people. We recognize that we live in an area that's filled with very affluent and successful people. The people that fill Lake Norman, they got a lot of things going for them. Educated, good jobs, families, toys, upwardly mobile. They can go and do whenever and however they please. But I have talked with a lot of people over the course of my life that would fit this demographic that seemingly have it all. Children and money in the bank. And yet when they lay their head to rest at night, there is a lack of fulfillment. At times, there's a lack of peace. And it is because all of those things, while not evil or sinful, those things, money and accomplishments and education and all of the stuff that we as Americans live for, at the end of the day, those things are not what matters. So as a church, we want to help people make their life matter. We want all people to be able to make their life matter. But what does that look like? And how does that tie into, won't you be my neighbor? Well, the only thing as we look to Jesus and what he teaches us and his example, the only thing that truly matters when the dust settles at the end of the day 
is what you and I are doing to make our lives matter by loving and serving Jesus and by loving and serving others. That's what making your life matter is all about. So today, as, as we kind of wrestle with this, and it may be a new concept for many of us, we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing to make a difference for the one in front of us? That's what we talked about last week as we kicked off the series, the one in front of you. And our attention was put on to one person that maybe we're overlooking, that we're walking past, who needs Jesus, who needs to hear of freedom, who needs to know of forgiveness, who needs to embrace redemption and reconciliation. And we want to focus on the one that is in front of us. Today, though, as we're talking about how love makes the difference, I'm going to be talking with you from a very ancient book in the Bible. In fact, many scholars say that it is actually the oldest book in the Bible. Now, if you know your Bible at all, you know that the book of Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And it is very ancient. However, the book of Job is actually older than the book of Genesis, meaning that it was written, Job was written before Genesis. And I want to take a look at this ancient book, the, the, the very first book of the Bible that was ever written because... I think that if it's the first book of the Bible and it was written before the others, it's probably got some truths that God thinks are super duper important. Like there's some things that if he's going to have his word written, it's going to start off with probably the thing that's closest to his heart. And if you're at all familiar with the book of Job, you may be tempted to think that the book of Job is actually a book that is all about suffering and how you suffer well and, and the ideal way that you're supposed to face and to go through hardship in your life. And without a doubt, there are applications to that that can be gleaned out of the book of Job. But I submit to you today that the book of Job is less about how to suffer and it's actually more about how to love the one in front of you. How to love your neighbor. So, so let's, let's chat. Let's talk about Job. When you look at the book of Job, you, you meet a guy that is very, very faithful. He's a godly man. And one day, Satan comes to God and says, Job, he's so blessed, he has so much going for him that it stands to reason that he's going to continue to love you and serve you and praise you. He's got everything he could ever hope for. A great family, lots of wealth. I mean, the guy's got it going on. Satan says, I bet that if you take that from him, he'll be a completely different person. I bet that if you'll let me wreak some havoc and chaos in his life, that you're going to see a totally different side of Job. 
And God says, bet. And a series of horrific things begin to happen to Job. All hell breaks loose in his life. Family members start dying. Wealth that he has starts disappearing. His world is absolutely turned upside down. And it's so bad. His affliction, his suffering, his problems, what he's going through is so bad that even those closest to him start telling him, Job, you need to turn your back on God. How can there be a God? Why do you believe in a God, number one? And then secondly, how could you believe in a God that would allow this to happen in your life? And so now Job is, is, is he's broken, he's despondent, he's lost everything. And those that are nearest to him, they're speaking death over him and negativity. And in the, in the early part of the narrative, Job responds in some pretty powerful ways. And if you know anything about the book of Job, I would imagine that you're probably only familiar with the first two chapters. Because those are the best sound bites out of the book of Job. In fact, let's look at the first one. Job chapter 1 and verse number 21. Job said, I came naked from my mother's womb. I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I have. The Lord's taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. And if we would stop right there, we would think, man, Job, you're amazing. Like, I could never be like this. How is this even possible? And then in chapter number two, one day his wife says, Job, you just need to curse God and die. This is terrible what we're going through. And look how, how Job responds in the second chapter, Job 2, verse number 8, Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes because now not only has he lost family and not only has he lost wealth, he's now dealing with a long-term illness in his own life. And there is nothing that will steal your joy and rob you of peace like facing pain and, and something wrong with you internally, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And here he is covered in disease, scraping his skin as he sits among the ashes. And his wife says to him, probably what a lot of us would say to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replies, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. 
This is in Job chapter number two. And if we would stop there, we would think, oh, dear God, how do people like this even exist? Is this real life? This looks nothing like the story of my life because I am so wound up and so fragile that if I order an eight-piece nugget at Chick-fil-A and there's only six in the box, I go postal on somebody. I mean, if everything doesn't go exactly how I want, when I want, I'm just going to lose it. I'm going to just tell someone off and make myself feel better. Go post all about it on social media. How is this possible? But guys, this is only Job chapter number two. There are 42 chapters in the book of Job. I got to hurry because I don't want us to be here all day. You get past Job 1 and Job 2 as Job continues to deal with the hardships of life. As he continues to get pounded by disappointments and heartbreak and affliction. Eventually, Job starts becoming real and starts becoming raw and starts looking and sounding like the rest of us. Chapter 3 begins with him cursing the day that he's born. Remember his, his wife said, Job, curse God and die. And from chapter 3 until chapter 41, Job does just about everything possible. Comes as close as possible to cursing God. He curses absolutely everything. He curses the day he's born. He curses this. He curses that. He gets angry with God. He questions God. He shakes an angry fist at the sky and says, why? Accuses God of being abusive. Accuses God of other, quite frankly, unimaginable things. And there's this discourse between Job and God for many chapters where Job is just pouring out his frustration and his hurt. He's being human. He's being real. He's cursing everything. He's at the end of his rope. He does all the things that we think that we should never do. We, he does all of the things that we're told are almost the unforgivable sins. He questions God challenges God, argues with God, fights with God. Does that sound like something that you're a little bit familiar with? And then when you get to chapter number 42, when it all ends, God blesses Job. He blesses him. And we're going to read the passage in just a moment. But before we do, I've got to tell you the other aspect to the book of Job, the other part of the equation, because it's not just a story about Job and his suffering. It's about loving people. And it's about having compassion on people because while Job is going through the valley of the shadow of death, as he's enduring unimaginable things on the dark side of the moon, 
three friends of his show up in his life. And these friends are religious people. These friends relationship with God. They're church people. Because when they show up in Job's life, they stand over him and they start speaking on behalf of God. They start acting as though they know God. They know the heart and the mind of God and they start speaking on behalf of God. But what they're telling him is arrogant. What they're telling him is devoid of love, devoid of compassion. Sometime this week, go and read the narrative, chapter 3 through chapter 41. Job's three church friends, the ones who should have known better, the ones who, have, who should have done it differently, they're looking at their friend who is broken, who is going through hell in his life, who is dealing with stress and pressure and issues, they stand over him and they're self-righteous with him. They're dogmatic with him and they're pounding him with what they say is God's truth. They tell him the most uncompassionate, the most insensitive, the most uncaring things that you could ever say to someone that's going through a difficult time in their life. This is happening to you because of this. And if you wouldn't have done that, then this wouldn't have happened. And if only you would be like this, that, and the other, things could be different. And they're judging. And they're condemning. And they're assuming. They're not loving. And then, the most peculiar of things happen. You get to 42 and Job, the one that's doing all of the stuff that we think are the questioning God, all of those things, challenging God. God blesses Job, but the three church folks, the three friends that acted like they knew it all, who were trying to speak on behalf of God, to convey the truth of God, to perhaps hold Job accountable. You would expect these Religious people, the ones that claim to know God's words and ways, you would expect them to be blessed. And you get to chapter number 42, and you know what happens? They're punished. They're punished. Chapter after chapter after chapter, they're speaking religious things, churchy things. But they're not loving. They're not compassionate. They're not embracing. They're not kind. They're not understanding. They're not giving benefit of the doubt. They're judging, assuming, castigating, condemning. And in the end, they're punished. And here's a few truths that God showed me that I want to share with you. Number one. What we can learn from the book of Job is that God is not intimidated by our humanity. 
When we go through the difficulties and the challenges of life, while it is important to maintain faith and to build up our faith and to surround ourselves with faith and to speak faith, God is not intimidated nor put off when we get human. When we, in a moment of hurt and desperation, say, God, why are you letting this happen? I don't understand. How could you do this to me? My heart's broken. God is a big boy. He can handle your humanity. That does not catch Him off guard. It does not move Him to, to strike you down in wrath and judgment and anger. On the contrary, He loves you. And throughout the book of Job, as Job is wrestling with all of these things going wrong in his life, God is there and He's responding. He keeps the conversation going. So God's not intimidated by our humanity. The second truth that we need to understand here, and it's probably the most important. And that is, God, God can handle and God can bless someone that behaves poorly in a time of crisis or in a time of need. But our God will not tolerate religious people who come in His name that do not love. God will not tolerate religious people that come in His name claiming to know His truth, that do not extend compassion, that do not show sympathy to someone that is struggling, someone that's going through a hard time, someone that is in need. God does not play because it is love that makes the difference. Our God is a God of love and He wants us to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And He wants us to love others, to really love others, to have compassion on others, to have sympathy towards others, to reach for others, to care for others. That's what matters the most to God. And if you don't believe me, let's look together Job 42 at how the whole narrative wraps up. Verse number 7, after the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite. And after reading through this narrative and seeing how uncaring and rude and uncompassionate this guy is, I've started calling him Eliphaz the Termite. But the Bible says that after God finished speaking to Job, he says to Eliphaz, remember the church guy. The know-it-all on social media. The judgmental one. The one that claims to know how God thinks and what God does. God says, I am angry with you and your two friends. For you have not spoken accurately about me. As my servant Job has. Watch this. My servant Job will pray for you. And I will accept his prayer on your behalf. Let me pause here and say this is truth number three. And it is a hard one to swallow. 
Truth number three is this. Even when the people in your life treat you badly, when you're going through a crisis, even if you experience church hurt and there's religious people that judge you and don't show you compassion and won't embrace you, you've still got to love and pray for them. Chapter after chapter, Job is on the receiving end of dogma. He's on the receiving end of religious judgment. And he hears what God's saying, but then he also hears, Job is going to have to pray for you. God says, my servant Job is going to pray for you and I'll accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve. Imagine, God's not be completely, completely uncompassionate and completely unloving. And God says, I'm not going to treat you as you deserve for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. And then look how it concludes. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. So friends, as we're talking about, won't you be my neighbor? And as I'm studying God's word and reading through all of this, that's absolutely blowing my mind. It kind of started to make sense. It kind of reveals to me. As to why sometimes God blesses. The most unlikely people. And God. Does not bless. The most likely people. Because if the two great commandments are to love God with everything we've got and to love others, we can make it look like we're doing the one. But everyone's going to see pretty soon and pretty clearly if we're not doing the other. And that's why the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 22 says this. Now, because of your obedience to the truth, and he's talking to us Christians. He's talking to us believers. He's talking to those of us that claim Jesus. He says, now, because of your obedience to the truth, and we sang the truth today, he is the king of kings. He's the father, the son, and the spirit. And all three are combined into one. And when we speak the name of Jesus, it addresses the fullness of God. And when we interact with Jesus, we interact with the fullness of God. We know the truth. We heard about our living hope. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave because of our obedience to that truth. What is that obedience? Surrender. What is that obedience? Making a fresh start. What is that obedience? Being baptized in water in his name because of our obedience to the truth. Coming to church, being in small groups, prayer, all the things that we do because of your obedience to the truth, you have purified your very souls. For what purpose? And this empowers you to be full of love. For your fellow believers. So express this sincere love towards one another. 
passionately and with a pure heart. Love makes the difference. We receive salvation, justification, sanctification, all of these churchy words that most of us never even hear or use. We receive all of these beautiful things so that we will love. So that we'll love. But how is it possible? Just think about it. Sometimes you too are judgmental. Sometimes you too are arrogant. Sometimes you too are uncaring and uncompassionate. So we have a dilemma. How do we love the way that we're supposed to love, like Peter says, passionately and with a pure heart? How do we do it? Well, we see the answer in Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of love. Jesus is all about love. In fact, the Bible says that God is love. Here's the last thing that I want to leave with you here today. You cannot love like Jesus unless you become like Jesus. And that doesn't happen until you spend time with Jesus. It's that simple. We're not going to be able to love like he wants us to love unless we become like him. And that's not going to happen until we spend time with him. And that's why I want to close out today with this challenge. Every year in the month of January and in the month of August, we do what is called 14 days of spiritual renewal. And we do 14 days of spiritual renewal because we recognize that it is very important to become like Jesus. But we also understand that we're not going to become like him until we spend time with him. So 14 days of spiritual renewal is about us spending time with Jesus. And this is how we do it. We, we spend every day in prayer. We spend every day reading God's word. We spend time in personal devotion and worship. We, we host a couple of very powerful experiences here at our church called prayer rallies and and there's many other things but the goal and the big idea of 14 days of spiritual renewal is to simply spend time with Jesus so that we can become more like Jesus and we do it in January because typically the whole world is thinking about new year resolutions new year new me and if you want to be a new you, you got to spend time with Jesus. 
And we do it in August because we're going back to school. We're getting back into the routine. We're getting back into the normal flow of life. It's a perfect time to get back to business. And to eliminate all the distractions that we had during the summer and get back to focusing on what really matters. In fact, if you have your phones, if you have a tablet or something that can access online, go to this, www.waterview.church slash 14 days. It's on the screen. And I'd like for you to take a moment and go there because when you do, you're going to see a host of resources that are going to enrich your faith, that are going to enrich your relationship with God. There's a link to a playlist so that you can have right music when you're spending time in worship. There's a link to daily Bible reading. There's information about our prayer rallies. There is all kinds of stuff there that is meant to help you make these 14 days as powerful and as life-changing as possible. And since today we're talking about love making the difference, I want to challenge you with this. You can't love like Jesus unless you become like Jesus. And that doesn't happen until you spend time with Jesus. So next Sunday on the 20th, we're going to kick off 14 days of spiritual renewal right here in this auditorium at 9.30 in the morning. From 9.30 to 10 o'clock, we're going to have a prayer rally. And it's going to open with a brief time of worship. And then we're just going to, for 30 minutes, pray together, pray for one another, pray for people in our lives. We're going to spend time in prayer. And then we'll have church starting at 10.30 and then We'll go through the week in our own prayer time, devotion time, and then the following Sunday on the 27th, we're going to have another prayer rally. But I just want you today to commit with me to spend time with Jesus. Because I want this church, I want our church to be marked by love. We've said this ever since we launched the church two years ago. We've said that we make people our priority and that we make the presence and power of the Holy Spirit our priority. And none of those things can be a reality unless we spend time with Jesus. Will you stand with me here today? Next Sunday, I want to invite you, whether you're here for the first time or you come all the time, I want you to join me here at 9.30 for our first prayer rally to kick off this season of spiritual renewal. I want you this week to go to that, to that link, and I want you to see all the different resources that we've curated and made available. And I want us, church, over the next 14 days to lean into God together, to go after God together to open ourselves wide open to the Holy Spirit, to start noticing the one in front of us, to start responding with love and compassion to the people around us. Hey, it's going to change Mooresville. It's going to change Cornelius. It's going to change Troutman and Statesville. It's going to change Huntersville and Davidson. It's going to change Lake Norman. Do you believe that today, church? Come on, lift your hands with me all over the building. 
all over the building. I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to go back into song just for a moment. But I want to pray for you right now that our life will look more like Jesus than it does Job's friends. Because the world has had enough of religious, uncaring, arrogant, dogmatic people. What this world needs is a church that is on fire with the love of God. A church that is on fire with the compassion of God. A church that says, I will do whatever it takes to reach the people around me. I'll give, I'll serve, I'll love, I'll reach out. Come on, church, raise your hands with me right now. And let's just thank God. Lord, I thank you today for your grace. I thank you today for your power. I thank you today for your mercy. I thank you today, God, for second chances. And I pray that you would baptize us fresh and new with your love. I pray that we would go out of here and would be more loving than we've ever been before. And God, that we would respond to a hurting world with compassion and with love. We'll give you honor, glory, and praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.